Good morning, church family. So I'm so happy to see all of you, and it's just a great day to be together, whether you're online or here with us this morning. Um, it's a great day. So my hubby Mark, one of his favorite um, pastimes is hunting. Please don't hold that against him if you're not a hunter. But um, so he's out hunting right now. He went to the west side with a friend, and um, so. I got to step in to preach this morning, so I'm super excited about that. I always love to have the opportunity to share God's word. And we are just four days away from Thanksgiving. I was talking with my kids, and we're hosting Thanksgiving, and I was talking with my kids, and they got very concerned that I do not even have a turkey yet. <laughs> so that's on my list of things to do right after this service. But... Um, I'm really curious this year, I've, I've heard a lot of dialogue, it's become quite a, a topic of discussion, this whole thing about whether you think that you should play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. It's become quite a debate, almost to the level of the debate about whether Die Hard with Bruce Willis is a Christmas movie or not. It's like becoming that level of debate. And so... I thought it would be kind of fun <clears throat> for us to talk about that a minute and just to ask, how, raise your hand if, so there's two options, raise your hand if you enjoy listening to Christmas music, maybe you even have some Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, raise your hand if you're in that camp, okay, about, I'm going to say maybe a third of us, okay, how many of you are like me and you cannot and will not listen to any Christmas music or put any Christmas decorations up until after Thanksgiving, okay, so there's about a third of us and maybe a third of us are undecided. Well, the thing that I love about Thanksgiving and the thing that I've even heard amongst many of us as I've been visiting out in the commons is that we really just relish this Thanksgiving season because Thanksgiving has not turned into a big commercial hoopla. <laughs> it's just a very simple time where we get to give thanks to God. We get to gather with family and we get to gather um, with friends. We get to eat special food, whether that's turkey for you or like my, Kim, my friend Kim Johnson likes to have tofu on Thanksgiving, whatever you like to have for Thanksgiving meal. It's just really, really fun and special, a fun and special time of the year. And so um, I do want to give a warning, though. So next week, Kyla mentioned that we're going to have our service of thanks where we, are, we share what we're grateful for. For those of you like me who do not like to have Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, please prepare yourself all week. When you come next week... The, the sanctuary here will be decorated for Christmas, but technically it is after Thanksgiving. So even though we're doing our service of thanks, there will be Christmas decorations. So just brace yourself for that, okay? All right. Well, as a church, we are reading through um, some Psalms for November, for our November Bible reading plan. And we have... Um, if you want to get the, the scripture that we're reading each day, we send out a 6.30 a.m. text with that day's Bible reading. If that's something that you'd like to have, um, just text the word B-I-B-L-E, Bible, to 43506, and we'll get you on that list to send you the, the daily Bible reading plan. But another thing that we're doing, in addition to reading through the scripture, is we are also, we made a gratitude playlist, and part of our challenge is to invite you, and me, each day to sing 
a praise song out loud to God, okay? So that's something that we thought would be a really good thing during this month of November. And you may be asking, why, why are you wanting us to sing a praise song, a, a Jesus song out loud? And I have a couple reasons and a personal example from my own life. <laughs> the first thing is, it's really good for your own ears to hear you praising God. And when you praise God through song or in any way for that matter, it puts roots really down deep into your spirit that anchor you through the storms of life, helps you keep your focus on God. And it's also just really good to praise God for who he is. We get to see God's character on display day by day in our lives and through different seasons of life. And as we get to know him more, it makes us want to praise him more. And I want to give you a personal example of this from my own life of why I think it's so important for us to fill ourselves up with, with Jesus and, and sing to him. So every day since we started this Bible challenge, I've been listening to that gratitude playlist that we made. And I've been singing out loud and the different things that I lead here at the church, I invite, I've been inviting us to sing out loud together as well. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me... I have to be really, really careful about what I listen to. And I like all kinds of genres of music, well, maybe not quite all, but I like a lot of um, genres of music, but I don't listen to a lot of music that's not Jesus music, and, and this is the reason why. So for this past week, I've been listening to the gratitude playlist. On Friday night, I went with some ladies to the um, Lauren Daigle concert and filled myself up with all of that good Jesus music. Well, on Thursday night, I was cleaning my house and I was getting a little tired and I decided I'm going to turn on one of my favorite non-Jesus music playlists that I have and it's Old Dominion country music, okay? So I, I was blasting it, I was cleaning and just having a really great time. And then I, you know, went to bed next day, went to the concert and listened to the gratitude playlist and everything. Okay, Saturday morning when I woke up, the first thing that was in my mind, was it a line from the Jesus music from the gratitude playlist? No. Was it a line from one of Lauren Daigle's amazing Christian Jesus songs? No. It was a line from Old Dominion and an inappropriate one at that. It even had a cuss word in it, okay? Now, my family knows that I, I don't cuss very often. I did a lot when my kids were teenagers because teenagers just make you plain mad, to be honest. Um, but I don't normally cuss a lot. And so that's, that line in my head, that inappropriate line with that cuss word in it, made me so mad that that was in my mind that it made me want to cuss, right? And so... That's a perfect example of how whatever we're filling ourselves up with is what comes out of us. And even though I had filled myself up with all this gratitude playlist and Lauren Daigle and all of these things, that was still what was in my mind. And it, um, so that's a good reason why we are encouraging ourselves to fill ourselves up with Jesus and things of him. All right, so this upcoming Tuesday um, in our Bible reading plan, we are going to be reading Psalm 103, and that is one of my absolute favorite psalms, and so I thought it'd be very fitting for us to study it together today, and before we jump into it, let's just take a minute to pray. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for the health and strength to be here Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are drawing us to you. 
And Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to be here to speak to each of us. And the thing that I love, one of the things I love so much about you, Holy Spirit, is that you are able to take um, your word and allow it to seep into our hearts and spirits exactly the way that we need to hear it. And so we just open our ears to you. And I pray that um, we would honor you today. Thank you for your word in Jesus's name. Amen. Amen. So we have a handout this morning, and if you didn't get one and want one, um, just raise your hand and our ushers will come and bring you one. But I want to just read for us Psalm 103. You can follow along either on the handout or up on the screen. Psalm 103 of David. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Okay, so here, as we jump into this, here we see right at the top there that this is a psalm that was written by David. And it's important for us to note who David was. You can read all about him in the Old Testament, but he was the second king of Israel. And before he was a king, he was a shepherd. Also, before he was a king, while there was still that his predecessor, King Saul, was still ruling, David was anointed to become king. And he then went into um, service for Saul by playing an instrument for him and serving in the military and things like this. And everyone could tell that God's special favor, his anointing, was on David. And everyone wanted David to be king. Everyone knew David would be king. 
including King Saul, (laughs) while King Saul was king. So that was kind of a little bit of an awkward situation there. But in short, David was Israel's most beloved and revered king, and even to this day. And as a side note, we're prone to believe that all of the Psalms are written by David, and that's not true. Only about half of those are written by David. And you might be wondering like, okay, so who wrote the rest? And we're not going to get into all of that right now. But the more important thing is why were the Psalms written? And the Psalms were written because they were Israel's corporate prayers of praise, thanksgiving, lament, and cries for help. So the Jewish people, the Israelites, would use these psalms in a corporate setting, much like what we're, where we're at now, to praise God, to cry out to God, to lament. Um, a couple weeks ago at Ladies Bible Study, the, the women there, we went through Psalm 80 and Psalm 86 as a prayer of lament for, for Israel and for Palestine. So psalms are still very helpful to be used even today in everything that we're experiencing, from praise all the way to lament and um, crying out to God for help. But in the biblical times, the Psalms were used for any and every occasion in life. And it's really important to note that the people in the ancient Near East, they were an oral tradition, which means they didn't write a lot of things down. <clears throat> excuse me, they, they passed things down by talking about it, by memorizing it from generation to generation to generation. But thankfully, some of these psalms did get written down and were included in the canon of scripture. But the ancient Israelites would have known many of these psalms simply by reciting them from memory. They would recite them over and over and over again until they got ingrained into our mind. Now that seems really foreign to us today because if we need anything, we just pick up our phone and we can find it like that, right? Now obviously that is not how things were back in ancient, ancient Israel. They, the ancient Israelites memorized chunks and chunks of scripture. And can you even imagine how sharp their minds must have been by committing all of that scripture to their mind. As a side note, I am a big fan of scripture memory. (laughs) And in this era of endless scrolling and sound bites, nanoseconds worth of information, if you want to sharpen your mind, a great way to do that would be to memorize scripture because it takes a lot of brain power (laughs) to do that. And you have the added benefit of getting God's word rooted in your mind and down into your spirit. And who of us couldn't use more of that, right? Okay, well, like I mentioned, the Psalms were Israel's praise and prayer book that they used to worship God corporately. And if you do a careful study of the Psalms, you will see that each individual Psalm is its own little work of art. (laughs) They're, They're not filled with haphazard phrases, but are carefully and beautifully structured in poetic form. It would be like a a piece of fine classical music intentionally and thoughtfully composed. Now, although a little bit of that prose gets lost in translation from Hebrew to English, the Psalms are very beautiful nonetheless, and there's something that stirs within our spirits as we read them. Psalm 103, which we're studying today, as with many other Psalms, was an actual hymn or a song that would have been used in corporate worship. And you can see that it has a very definite structure. 
And it's a beautiful hymn that recites God's love and his compassion towards his people. And in fact, the length of the psalm in the original was 22 verses. Well, in this one too, in the um, Hebrew and also in the English, 22 verses. And that was intentional because there's 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So this is just to give you an idea of how really thought through and artfully crafted these psalms are. So I want to show an outline, and, and you have this on your handout, an outline of the psalm. Psalm 103 is framed, it begins and it ends with an invitation to praise God. And this sets the tone for the whole entire psalm. In between those invitations to praise the Lord, David recites the personal blessings that he's received in verses three to five. And then he goes on to share the mercy God has shown um, the people of Israel in general in verses um, six to 19. So up there, if you like to fill in the blanks, there's the blanks for you to fill out. Um, verses one to two, invitation to praise directed inward. So towards himself. Verses three to five, David gives a three-verse recital and celebration of the personal blessings that God has given him. Then in verses 6 to 19, um, it's full of God's love and compassion towards his people. And then finally, verses 20 to 22, there's an invitation to praise directed to all creatures in heaven and earth. Okay, so that's on your handout. How, by the way, how many of you like to have a handout simply because you know, okay, they're going to be done here soon, right? <laughs> that's one, one added benefit of having a handout. But you'll notice there's a lot of blank there. You never know how long that blank could be. Okay, well, let's look a little bit more closely at, this, at each of these four parts of the psalm and do a little bit of application as we um, read through it. First of all, in verses one to two, David first and foremost, first and foremost, invites himself to praise God. So he's not asking anyone else to praise God. He's inviting himself. And I don't know about you, but I can really relate to this invitation that David gives to himself. Because oftentimes, I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes the first person who needs to be encouraged to praise the Lord is myself. <laughs> um, your own self needs to be encouraged to praise the Lord. I find this interesting. Even one of our current popular worship songs, Gratitude, recognizes this. Um, in a lyric in that song says, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, you've got a line inside of those lungs, get up and praise the Lord. So even that song knows that we got to tell our own self to praise the Lord. Now he says, praise the Lord my soul. That phrase there, my soul, was a very common way for people to address themselves in the ancient Near East. And when David says my soul, he's referring to himself as a living, conscious, personal being. In the Old Testament, this word soul had to do with your mind, the things you thought. It had to do with your will or what I like to call your want to. <laughs> your will is your want to or not. And it also had to do with your emotions. So soul was mind, will, and emotions. And the soul was different from the spirit. The spirit is that is deeper than our soul. Oftentimes I refer to my spirit like my heart, like that most inner part of me, that deep part within me that connects with God. Those are two different, two different things. And I, I want to show you that and <clears throat> share with, about that. 
So the question is, have you ever had a conflict between your spirit and your soul? The spirit deep inside of you wants to obey God, praise God, honor God. But your soul, your thoughts, your, your want to, your emotions don't want to. Maybe they don't feel like it. For whatever reason, they rather not. Thank you very much. <laughs> a good example of that is even when we gather together here at church and while we're singing, deep inside of you, your spirit wants to connect with God. You long to sing, pour out your heart, raise your hands, but your soul tries to boss your spirit by saying, no, you're too tired. Or you'd be too embarrassed to lift your hands to God. Or you're, you just don't feel like praising God, so you're just going to keep your mouth shut. Now, that's a perfect example of your soul bossing your spirit around. And did you know it doesn't have to be that way? Your soul does not have to boss your spirit. Your spirit can be, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, your spirit is stronger than your soul. And a simple prayer of, Holy Spirit, strengthen my spirit right now. I don't feel like doing this, but I, I want to, I, my spirit really wants to. That's a great place to start. And then when you have a choice between letting your soul win or your spirit win, you just make the decision that my soul is not going to be the one telling me what to do. My spirit is going to be the one to tell me what to do. And, and you let your spirit trump your soul. And I have found over the years as I just make that intentional decision to do that, that eventually my soul comes into alignment with my spirit. That then my mind, will, and emotions wants to do what my spirit wants to do. And, and that's a beautiful thing when that happens. We can see another example of this in Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11. The scripture says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is another good example that the author is not allowing his soul to have the final say. He may feel downcast and disturbed, but his spirit is going to boss him into saying, no, you're going to praise God. So that's another really great example. I want to be really clear here that a mature Christ follower doesn't shy away from what's going on in their soul. Okay, that's not healthy when we don't pay attention to what's going on in our thoughts and our emotions and, and our feelings and our will. But a mature Christian person doesn't allow their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions to have the final say. They let God's spirit strengthen. They acknowledge what's going on in their soul. I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say we push down our thoughts or our feelings or our will. What we're trying to do is pay attention to that and, and figure that out and bring that to the Lord and allow him to work in that and through that and let our spirit over, overcome that. So that's what David is doing here. He's inviting himself to praise the Lord. He says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So after David gets himself to a place of being ready to praise God, um, in verses three to five, he lists all the personal blessings that he has received from God. And I want to make very clear that in this section, verses three to five, he's reminding himself 
all of the things that God has done for him, who forgives all your, and he's saying it to himself, to his soul, um, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Now, some of you may be somewhat familiar with David's story and the events in his life. And I want you to think about that for just a minute. As we read this part here, um, what kind of things would David be recalling in his own life as he's saying, who forgives all your sins, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction? Although we don't know every single circumstance in David's life, A few things come to mind for me, in particular, when we read that part where David says, who forgives all your sins. I think of some of the David's sins that we read about in particular. He was a king who um, basically took a young woman and, and brought her into his home and she was married and he, you know, forced her to have sex with him. Um, And then her husband, who was away at war, he instructed um, the general of the army to put her husband in the front line so that he would be, be killed. Those are some pretty grievous sins, aren't they? And yet David is saying, I, I praise the Lord because he forgives all my sins. Um, when David says that God had redeemed his life from the pit, another word for that word pit is destruction. And there were times before and actually during David's reign as king where he had to hide from people. He had to hide in caves because different people sought to bring destruction to end his very life. And so David knew what it was like to be in a pit of destruction when he said, when he says, um, who redeems your life from the pit. Instead of destruction, God crowned David with love and compassion instead. And I love the metaphor that David uses here because as a king, David would have worn a crown to symbolize that he was anointed by God to be the leader of Israel, that he was, he was the dude, he was the king over Israel. But I love this metaphor because David says that God has crowned him with far more than a physical crown. God has crowned him with love and compassion, or the way the New King James Version translates it. It says, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture to think about for a king who would wear a crown that really God crowned him and surrounded him with loving kindness and tender mercies? And how many, if you had to choose between a big hunk of gold on your head or the tender mercies and loving kindness of God, how many of us are going to choose the loving kindness and tender mercies of God? He was surrounded by those tender mercies and loving kindness. And guess what? So are we. So these are the things that David did not want to forget about that God had done for him. So he rehearsed them over and over again. This little portion of scripture, Psalm 103, one through five is my memory verse for November. And I'm memorizing it from a different version than than what's up here, but I would just like to recite it. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, 
who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who fills, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't that a beautiful um, prayer and blessing and, and praise that God, that David gives to God? As we move into the third section of the psalm, David recites God's love and compassion, not just towards himself, but towards the people of God. So I want to read verses 6 to 8. It says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, if you heard the message last Sunday, you'll, those words are familiar to you because those are the same words that Jonah prayed to God when he was so ticked off to God, at God, remember? When he was so mad and he said, I knew that you were a God of compassion, of graciousness and compassion, that you were slow to anger and that you were abounding in love. Interestingly enough, this, these, um, this verse, verse eight, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and bounding in love is what's called a character formula of God. And it's the way that God introduces himself to his people. And I want to look at this for just a minute. So we're going to put up on the screen, um, Exodus chapter 34. I want to give a little context for this. So remember in Exodus, Moses went and he took the people out. They were slaves in Egypt. He took them out, led them to a new place where God was going to give them a promised land. But in order for them to get to that promised land, they had to have a change in the way that they were thinking because they were used to being in bondage to slavery. And God was like, nope, you got to have a new way of thinking, new set of values. And so he gave them the 10 commandments. So God called Moses to go up into the mount, uh, to a mountain and to get these 10 commandments. Moses was gone for 40 days communing with God. And while Moses was gone for those 40 days, the people at the bottom of the mountain started getting a little antsy or um, anxious or whatever you may say about that. And so when Moses came down from the mountain ah, to give these 10 commandments, guess what he found? He found the people worshiping a golden statue that they made in the shape of a calf. Now, the first commandment, ironically enough, is you shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> so he comes down from that mountain and he sees, he's ready to give the people the words of God and he sees them worshiping a golden calf instead. And he got, talk about getting mad. He got so mad that he took those stone tablets and he dashed them to the ground and they broke, okay? Well, because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, guess what? He invited Moses to come back to the mountain to give another set of tablets. And this is the context for what we are going to read here. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. 
No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. And the reason why for that is because God was going to show himself to Moses. And as the representative for the people, um, that's how God wanted that to be because God is so holy. And and Moses was the representative there to, to take God's character to the people. Verse four, so Moses chiseled out two, tones, two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. So this is God proclaiming to Moses who he is and who his character is. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Verse six about the Lord being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and bounding in love. That portion of scripture, that character formula of God is found at least 14 times in the Old Testament. And the more often something is mentioned in scripture, the more we need to pay attention to it. So this is God's very definition of himself. He reveals his steadfast love for all those who are his people. Yet he does not Um, it's not without human accountability for sin. We see that in there, that there is accountability for sin. Yet you can see that his mercy far, far, far outweighs his judgment. When God says that he punishes the children um, and their children, we need to look at that cultural and historical context because in the ancient Near East, normally, three to four generations of family members would live in one home. Okay, that's just how that worked there. And so that's what they're referring to here is that when they're punishing the children for the sin to the parents, that's what that means, that in that whole household, that would be a problem, (laughs) that that everyone's going to bear the consequences. And how many of you have ever bore a consequence for something that your parents or grandparents have done? Uh, Many of us have, and that's kind of a sobering thought for those of us who are parents and grandparents. But as verses 9 through 12 in Psalm 103 tell us, listen to this um, echoing of how God defined himself. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And for those of us who now are living on the other side of Jesus, this is Jesus here. This is what Jesus does for us. And aren't we so grateful that he does? And what it takes for us to receive that is just to ask. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that beautiful about the God that we serve? So this is who God is. And he needs to weigh a, a way to express that. <laughs> because God is full of love and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. He needs someone, some people to, to give that towards 
people. You know what I mean? It's like he has all of this, but he's not just going to keep it to himself. He's going to give this away. And as I was studying this, I had a question arise in my own heart and mind, and maybe someone here has had this question before, um, or maybe you know someone who does. Have you ever wondered why God chose the people of Israel, if, if he needs to give away his love and compassion and, and goodness, why did he choose Israel, Abraham's descendants, the people of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that one family? Why did he choose that family to be the object of his love? And I struggled with that concept for, for a little bit as I was studying and thought, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel fair <laughs> that God chose just one, one group of people during that time to share his, his love for. Has anyone ever thought of that before? Is it just me? Okay, some of us maybe have. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to bring up a question that no one had a problem with before, but, um, but I, I, I thought of it. I think God revealed something to me in a good way that I want to share. So I want to compare that God choosing one family to pour his love onto to something that we can maybe relate to a little bit better in our day and age. As of um, November 14th, when I did this little study, the population of the United States was about 340 million people, okay? Stick with me here a minute. <laughs> if roughly half of those people are women, females, that means there's about 170 females in the United States. Now, of those 170 females, roughly 40 million of them would be unmarried and wanting to be married, okay? So if a man is looking to be married to find a woman to give his love to and eventually chooses one, is that unfair to the other millions of women out there? Do you see where I'm going with that? No, that's not fair. And the reason why is because that's how relationships work. A committed marriage relationship works when a man chooses one woman and just one woman <laughs> to love. And we don't think that's unfair or unjust, right? That's the way that works. And that's a good thing. And that's a very interesting way for us to think about how God chose one family to put his love towards to show his compassion to. So I don't know if that brought up more questions than answered, but that was an interesting way for me to think about it, that God had to choose one family to, to, to show his love to. So as we wrap up this section of the Psalm, this um, third section, I want to highlight verses 17 to 18, where it says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Verses like this are great verses to pray over your children or your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, any young people that you have in your life. My prayer for my kids and my grandkids based on, on Psalm 103, 17 and 18 is this, God, thank you that although I am a frail human and won't be on this earth forever, your love is with my children and my grandchildren because I honor and obey you. Bless my children, bless my grandchildren and future generations. May they choose you, love you, follow you and serve you just like Mark and I have in Jesus' name. And that's just a little model of how we can take scripture and we can turn it into prayer to pray over future generations.
Well, we're wrapping up here. So the final section of Psalm 103 is verses 20 to 22, which is David's invitation to all the creatures in heaven and earth to praise God. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. A very, very common way for Psalms to end is with this call to praise. And if we look at three chapters after Psalm 103, Psalm 104, Psalm 105, and Psalm 107, we have the verses up there. They end in the same way. Psalm 104, 35, this is the last verse. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Psalm 105, 45, this is the last verse of that Psalm. That they might keep his precepts and observe his laws praise the Lord. And then Psalm 107, 48, this is the last verse of that Psalm. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. So as you can see, the way this Psalm ends with this invitation to praise the Lord is very, a very common way for the Psalms to end. Verse 22 says, praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Now, that word dominion isn't a word we use too often, is it? it when you think of it, I kind of think of like Robin Hood or um, Lord of the Rings or, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that word is more understandable maybe there. But the meaning of the word dominion has to do with where God rules or where God reigns, reigns as a king. And the New Living Translation translates this verse, praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Okay, so that helps us get a little bit or better perspective. And what David is really asserting here is that the entire earth is under God's rule and reign and dominion because he is the creator of it. And as such... Everything and everyone created by God is invited, if not required, <laughs> to praise the Lord. Yet, although the entire earth is the Lord's, created by him and for him from the beginning of time, he has given each and every person, way back starting with Adam and Eve, he has given each and every person the opportunity to choose whether they would submit to his rule and dominion or not. Everyone who has been born, all of us here today, we get the choice if we're going to submit to God's dominion or not. God takes free will pretty seriously. And that's another question that sometimes people get hung up on, and I have too, like, why, why did God create us if he knew we were going to sin? And the reason, this is very simplistic, I'm not very deep theologically, I like to keep things pretty simple, <laughs> but God wants us to choose him back. He, does, he didn't create us to just be yes men, yes women, little robots to do whatever he tells us to do. That, that's not true love, and that's not true worship. True love and true worship is when we say yes to God and we choose to love him back. He lets everyone decide if they will bring his dominion to their domain. And when I say that word domain, I'm thinking like 
what's under your leadership, your responsibility, your home, the things that happen in your home, the, the things that you do with your life, your will, your choices, your lifestyles, your responsibility. And this is a great takeaway question for us to think about this week. What does it look like for you as a Christ follower to bring God's dominion to your domain? That's kind of a, a interesting question. I'm not going to talk much more about it because I really invite you to take that question home and to think about it. What does it look like for you right where you're at right now? Current life story, current relationship with Jesus. What does it look like for you to invite God's dominion into your domain? Well, Psalm 103 is one person, David. It's his psalm of thankfulness. And at the end of his psalm, he invites all of us <laughs> to praise the Lord. And so you'll notice in your handout that that's exactly what I'm going to invite you to do as well, if you would like to. So in the next couple of days, using Psalm 103 as a formula, and you have that in your handout here, and for those of you who are watching online, um, it'll be up on the screen here for you in just a minute, those different steps of the formula. But I invite you to write out your own personal prayer uh, or psalm of praise. Part one is your personal, is a personal call to praise God. So how do you want to invite yourself to praise God? Write out a sentence or two. Part two, praise God for what he's done for you personally. List a few things you've learned about God's character from examples from your own life. List some things that you do not want to forget that he's done for you. Part three is to praise God for his love and compassion directed towards your family or towards his people in general. And to get started, you might want to list how he has been compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. <clears throat> Then part four is a corporate call to praise. So who do you want to invite to praise God along with you? I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up. And there are, we're going to give you a couple minutes here um, to, to jot down some notes if you so desire, some, some ways that you want to praise God. Maybe you have some things that you want to write down of how he's been compassionate or gracious. So you can write that down as our worship team is playing some um, songs for us. But I thought I would go first and share my psalm of praise with you um, based on um, this little outline here. So <clears throat> the first part from Kate, your spirit is stronger than your soul. Even when you don't feel like it, open your mouth and praise God. There's so much for you to be thankful for. Second part, God, I don't want to forget the things you've done for me this year. You have kept me healthy You've been so sweetly with me in the night when I can't sleep. You have loved me even when I fail. You have given me a strong and loving marriage based on you, and you have provided for me to go back to school. Third part, you are compassionate to our family and have brought us restoration. You've been gracious in your provision of all we need and then some. You don't count our sins against us, but are patient and forgiven giving even when we blow it. You have expanded our family by giving us two grandsons to love and pass faith on to. That's the best part of all. <laughs> Here's the last part. I invite everyone to praise God with me. Family, praise God for all his goodness to us. Friends, when you see God working in your life, stop and give him thanks. 
young adults, and I, I specifically have a part for them because I have a small group with young adults in my house every Tuesday night, so they have a big part of my heart. Young adults, when you change the focus from inward to upward and then outward, you'll have peace and joy. Women, because I'm the women's pastor here, use your beautiful voices to bless God. People everywhere, let's use all that's within us to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So with that, I'm going to now invite Taylor to play some music for us and for us to take a little bit of time. You can jot down some notes that you might have to write your own psalm, or maybe you want to think about that takeaway question, but whatever it is for you, let's just have a little bit of quiet time.
by the blood It's never been about deserving
God through song, through writing things out, through the way we live our lives most of all. And we're heading into a week of Thanksgiving where it's culturally acceptable (laughs) to give our gratitude. But we're going to be people that give gratitude not just at Thanksgiving time, but who praise God every day of our lives through every season of our life. As a reminder, next week is our service of thanks. So you can come prepared to share something that God has done or how you've seen his character in 2023. Or perhaps you would like to write your psalm of praise and you'd like to read that to us next week. I would love to hear some of some of those. It was a good day to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you all so much. And God is just so faithful. Jesus is so gracious to us. And I just feel in the room, my spirit is saying that we're really sensing the graciousness of Christ right now. The deep, deep love of Jesus, the presence of his spirit. So let's close with prayer. God, for what you're doing in people's hearts and lives right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, how you draw us closer and closer to to Jesus. The song that we were singing about the blood of Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that even allows us to praise God. (laughs) Thank you for your tenderness to us. Just like this scripture says, you know how we are made. You know that we are made of dust and how frail we are. And I think that there's some of us here right now even that um, you're, you're grappling with the frailty of your own life or of life in general. And would you just receive the compassion and the grace of Jesus? the love of your heavenly father who loves you beyond compare. God, may we be people who are strong in our spirits because of your Holy Spirit. May we learn how to not let our mind, will, and emotions boss us around. And that can only happen through the strength and the grace of your spirit. So thank you for that, God. We thank you for this good morning to be together. And I pray your grace and your blessing over each and every person represented here, those who are watching online. Whatever the week holds for us, this Thanksgiving week, Lord, help us to to honor you. Help us to know that we're never alone. Help us to know that we bring you with us. We bring the peace, the fragrance of Christ with us wherever we go. And we honor you and we love you. In Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come on up. If you have anything you'd like to pray for, we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. Always remember that Jesus loves you very much and so do Mark and I. Happy Thanksgiving.